You are listening to the Mission Matters Podcast Network, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and experts. Hello, and welcome to the Serve Strong, Finish Strong podcast on the Mission Matters Podcast Network. This is designed specifically for you in your 40s and 50s, trying to navigate the uncertainty of the stage of life you're in. I'm Scott. I'm your host, and I'm glad you're bored as we embark on another episode. My guest today is a brain researcher and entrepreneur. He's CEO, co-founder of Rewrite and Rise, which is a mind, brain, and body lab that focuses on bringing successful treatment outcomes to those healing from emotional abuse, burnout, or identity crisis, like after a breakup or during a quarter-life crisis, being let go of your job when you're 50. Right? <laughs> Whatever. The lab uses biometric and behavioral data to objectively measure, diagnose, and treat individual mental health conditions. Now, Cody is also the co-founder of CBAI, an artificial intelligence company that specializes in building AI for more like a human brain, where he contributes brain architecture and anatomy knowledge and internal coaching with all the developers and team to prevent burnout while optimizing productivity. Man. Together, these two companies are working to create affordable human-machine neurotechnology devices and software tools to help people regulate mental and emotional health, heal trauma, live a healthy lifestyle, and edit beliefs and behaviors faster than ever before. His name is Cody Isabel. Welcome to the show, Cody. Thanks so much. <laughs> I appreciate the intro. That's <laughs> quite an intro. So why talk about the brain when it comes to designing a fantastic fourth quarter? You know, we're in our 40s and 50s, and not you, but me and <laughs> those listening. And we're looking to design a fantastic 60s and 70s. Well, in all likelihood, we've grown up thinking that the brain reaches a point where it no longer serves us. So we retire, we start the garden, and we die. But Cody, you say this isn't true, right? Talk to us about the brain, more specifically, our beliefs. Yeah, yeah, I know that is absolutely not true. It becomes true when you believe it's true. Your brain is very, very good at listening to you. The way that you put that is hilarious because that is the way that story or narrative or belief structure is formed in society and our environment controls our behavior oftentimes. So what you do, you become. And so when you do retire, turn off all of the cognitive like things that you're doing to keep your brain moving every single day, the learning, the social connecting, all of that kind of stuff, your brain does regress into, it literally folds. I mean, not literally, but it does regress backwards into your skull and it does begin the dying process, so to speak, when you expect it to do that. If you expect it to serve you and be plastic and be young and be vivacious and learn things fast and connect with people and remember things, it will. It is about your expectation. It's a predict it's a prediction machine. And you have way more control than it feels like you do when you are, especially when you're getting older, because physiologically, your brain may get a a little bit smaller, and, but you're not losing any of the connections. That's a beautiful oh. piece. And your brain is plastic your entire life. So I feel like a lot of people hear, oh, my brain is getting smaller, cognitive decline, but you're not losing any of the connections though. It's just shrinking a little bit, but that's completely normal. <laughs> so we use the word plastic and I, I think of the water bottle that I carry around when when I'm walking around. That's not the kind of plastic. When we're talking about plasticity of the brain, what exactly is plasticity? 
Yeah. So it's your ability to go from being able to know how to pl- not know how to play piano or not know how to juggle or when we're super young, not know how to walk. And then it's the, our ability to learn and then be able to do those things in the future. And so what it really means is that your brain is neurologically, you're creating new neurons that represent those behaviors, like represent walking, playing piano or juggling. You're making new connections with other neurons and you're making new chemical or electro signals, biochemical signaling molecules that are on the ends of neurons, but that doesn't that's a little bit too deep. The point being mm-hmm. is that you're creating new cells and new connections, and that's what neuroplasticity is. And that is a skill that you maintain until the moment you are dead. Literally never do you ever lose that ability. This is tremendous hope for the person who has been given this narrative. And, you know, <laughs> one literally, when we turn 40, the old Lordy, Lordy, look who's 40, and the black four and zero balloons and the (laughs) and if you've got creative friends putting the headstones out in the front yard you know so you wake up on your birthday and there's all these headstones like you're dying and over the hill right over the hill all those phrases but there is so much more going on We, we are still learning we are always we we carry with us the skill of learning and that's plasticity yeah forever and and the the beliefs and the things that are you're bringing in so all of the things culturally and all the things you just described you're bringing in they're coming into your mind your mind and i like to personify these three things your mind your brain and your body all three of them talk together they're all separate but inseparable you bring that stuff in through your mind and your mind goes to the brain's like oh, okay we're over the hill now brain start winding us down a little bit so the brain starts to wind itself down and then the brain also goes to the body it's like hey body start to wind us down a little bit. Like, like we need to start, like the mind and the environment is telling us it's time to wind down. And so when we believe that what's coming in, our brain makes it so in our body and in our mind. So how does the brain create meaning and purpose? I, we talk so, about, let me, let me frame this up a little bit, this question a little bit more. I talk to people who are in their third quarter and they're saying, I've enjoyed a successful career but I'm looking for something meaningful as though that success they've enjoyed these past 40 years, 50 years is no, is not really meaningful. There, there, there's a question of purpose. So that's why I asked the question, how does the brain create meaning and purpose? So three things specifically, curiosities, passions, and problems are kind of the, I'll kind of dive into each, but big picture, curiosities, passions, and problems. So they have done what they've had to do throughout their life to make means ends meet to meet the job. They got a job, then they got married, then they had kids, and they had to get in their house, and they had to get pay for the kids' college, and they had to pay for this. Had to, right, and so they were doing things. Oftentimes, our career chooses us; we don't choose our career. And so then, a lot of times, when I hear people say what you just described, that's that's what's happening is they they've had a career that's chosen them, and now they're towards the end of that career, and they're like, now I want to choose, now I want to pick. And so when it, when that's the time, what they're asking for often and what they need or want and their brain needs or wants often is to be able to attack something that is built upon things they're curious about. So what is something that you would spend a weekend researching just for fun, right? Mm-hmm. That's the base layer. Then out of those curiosities, what passions arise, right? So if you are, if you have like five curiosities about space and technology, that's probably a passion of yours. Okay. And then problems. The last one is solving a problem they are passionate about, not just that the company they worked at is passionate about. And so that 
could be a problem of solving world hunger as big as that or ending childhood literacy in 13-year-olds, whatever, right? The, the mm-hmm. problem can be as specific or as general, but specific to them that they are passionate about. And then being able to use their passions and their curiosities to solve that problem and start working towards that day to day, that can really create meaning and purpose, I have found, um, mm-hmm. because that's what meaning and purpose are built upon neurologically. All three of those things release chemicals like dopamine, oxytocin. Like if you're solving a problem that helps in large group, you're caring and connecting for that group. That's oxytocin, that's serotonin, that's dopamine. And the more dopamine you can release because you're curious about your passion, now you will feel that pull, the meaning, the drive that you're describing, like the, it, you almost be addicted to it in a way. And that's that feeling of when people say like, I wake up with my purpose, like, and I just want to go and do it. That's the dopamine that's pulling them along. Talk to us a little bit more about the dopamine and serotonin. What do they do? What's the, what's the role that each of those play? So the satisfaction would be serotonin, SNS, satisfaction. Okay. And then dopamine, it's one that's villainized a lot because it's it very much in an addictive pathway. It contributes a lot to addiction. But really what dopamine is, is our wanting to attract or drive or push towards or do more of or pursue. It's really about pursuit is what dopamine is about. And so dopamine gets released when our brains, like it's something that we want to pursue. And that, that's why those two are super, super important as far as passion and meaning, or sorry, not passion, purpose and meaning, um, mm-hmm. serotonin and dopamine being co-released and then oxytocin, especially it's a great mixture for, so, so um, oxy- there's also in- the, the oxytocin, what does that do in relation that's to caring, connecting. So just oh. imagine, uh, like loving being like giving a hug to someone releases oxytocin getting a hug releases oxytocin seeing your mom even just a picture of your mom releases oxytocin which is caring connection it's been called the love chemical okay all right all right so that's that's a fascinating way of looking at this and if you're listening to this episode and you were in that camp where you were you didn't choose your vocation i love that you didn't choose your vocation and now although you've been successful, the curiosity, the passions, the the problems to solve coming out of those passions and curiosities, that's what you're searching. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for that. And that gives you meaning. And so I love shedding light on that. Let's, let's jump to another question that I had. Um, What exactly is happening inside of a brain that is aging? versus a younger so we, brain. For sure. Yeah. We talked a little bit about some of those things. Some of it really is the, it, you're it's just getting a little bit smaller, which is not unusual. Interesting enough in the age group you're describing forties and fifties, it's not that significant like mm-hmm. at all, as far as getting smaller, there's some slight decrease in novel problem solving. That's something that with aging gets a little bit harder. So a new problem that is like a new intricate problem that is a little bit harder for an older brain. 40s and 50s, it's like like if this is like 20s and 30s, yeah. 40s and 50s is maybe like this much, just, just a, a tiny little, little bit, bit lower. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not crazy. And so that's one of the biggest things and, or some of the biggest things as far as what's happening inside of an aging brain, physiologically, the only other, like not 40s and 50s, but way older is a decrease in memory. That sometimes also starts to decrease slightly as people age. So those are some of the things that are happening. They're not nearly as scary as people think they are. The beautiful thing that I can tell you is happening is that they are learned, they are growing, they are changing. And like, especially there are 
it feels like every time I open up research, there's a new area of the brain that they have found that new neuron cells grow our entire lives. For example, the hippocampus is one of those, our entire lives. We can grow neural cells in that area of our brain, which is around learning and memory. That's what it's primarily a part of. And so that's one of the big coolest things that's always happening. It doesn't matter how old you are, like an old dog can learn new tricks. Like, uh, like we have to, like, just, <laughs> just, <laughs> just realistically think about it for a moment. Like if you couldn't learn your entire life, we would not survive. We wouldn't no. even be here as a species. No. Like it just, it doesn't make sense for it to not be true that we can learn our entire lives. So that's, I just want to make sure we hammer that point in. Yeah. I know before we talk, that was one of the biggest ones we want to hit on. That, that's right. We wanted to get across this, this idea that there is, there's so much more going on. And, and if you give up your life to this scenario of the garden and die, and you're lonely and you're out of the world and all this, then you're leaving a lot of life on the table. There, there's so mm. much more life after your third quarter. And this is the science behind that. How, how do there, there's a lot of stuff out there about diets and about healthy living and exercise and all that sort of stuff. If you could boil it down, what the average person can do to maintain brain health, what, what are some things that you would say based on what you see? Big picture, use it or you will lose it. That, I mean, that's the number one thing okay. <laughs> in every sense of the word. So meditation, mindfulness, having a daily practice around that. And that could be prayer. That could be gratitude. That could be forgiveness. That could be yoga. That could be Tai Chi. Like there's so many different types of meditation, mindfulness. It keeps your prefrontal cortex strong. Absolutely necessity. Sleep, like do not mess up your sleep. The less hours you sleep, the less hours you live. That it's that simple. So getting amazing, good sleep and understanding that that is so freaking important for your long-term health. Exercise and uh, nutrition are two. Oh, you go. Yeah. I want to hang with that for a second. Sleep. Okay. There's so much controversy over sleep. You know, oh, I can get by <laughs> with four hours of sleep. I, you know, that's usually in our second quarter. We're, we're kind of, there's a bravado and all that and we're building right? So we're building a business, we're building our family and there's kind of a, it's like a badge of honor, right? Mm. But I want to ask you, what happens to the brain when we sleep? What actually is going on that gives it a benefit that mm -hmm. sleep benefits the brain? Just if we can have that visual, we might go to bed a little differently. Yeah. So there's a group of cells called microglia in your brain. They're helper, they're brain cells that are like helpers and imagine them like the garbage men. <laughs> so during the day you build up a level of inflammation, stress chemicals, all sorts of waste and things that you've been using as your cells just create waste. Like just imagine you yourself, humans create waste, mm -hmm. big picture. So do your cells as they are going about their daily tasks at nighttime, when you go to sleep, literally as you lay back on your pillow, because your brain is floating essentially, when you lay back, it, the ventricles of your brain are able to pull and, and with just with gravity alone, pull, pull your microglial through your brain cells and clear out and grab on of all, of the, all of that debris and inflammation and just like crap that's in your brain. And it just naturally comes down in the back, your fourth ventricle down in the bottom of your neck, right into your, like to be excreted out, out of you. That happens naturally through gravity and your microglial as you're sleeping. They're going through and just pairing things up and cleaning things up. That's one. And then two, reconsolidation of memory and learning. <laughs> like people do not oh. realize this, how important sleep is in relation to memory and learning. But as you sleep, 
when you're forming a new memory, neurons are coming together just like this. And then they're marked with acetylcholine. And so at nighttime, what happens is cells come through, helper cells come through and solidify and cement down those neural connections. Whereas if I learned something, but I didn't sleep well, these neurons aren't going to pair together. And if they're not wired tightly together, just like if the wires of a light bulb aren't mm -hmm. tightly wound together, the light bulb doesn't come on or it comes on weaker. Same thing with your memories. If they're not wound tightly together through sleep and the process that happens while you sleep, that memory doesn't stick as well. And that learning doesn't stick as well. It will take you twice as long to learn something as someone who is efficiently sleeping as far as like neural development. And so, so not only does it clear out your brain of inflammation, you are reconsolidating memories and learning. Does cleaning out, is that a prerequisite to making things sticky? Like, is it a first this, then that? Like, do you first take out the trash and then put a new bag in? And they're kind of both happen at the same time. It's kind of hard to time scale it, honestly. They both happen <laughs> at the same time. Okay. Okay. All right. So we have yet to learn that, right? So we're still learning. Yeah. It, that's, still yeah, that's yeah. a very specific one to learn. So to put it very simply, my wife told me last night in a certain tone, because I forgot, we need to take <laughs> out the trash because it stinks. And yeah. so I finally did. Imagine not doing that. I mean, first of all, there'd be a marriage problem, but then there, the kitchen was, I mean, if yeah. you've been in a city where there's been a strike by the trash collectors, you know, the mess that, that can create. Mm -hmm. So when we sleep, we're taking out the trash. We are cleaning out what we have addressed. So even if we're facing a lot of stress in the day, is there more trash than normal? Yes. So even in, so the ironic thing is when we're facing a lot of stress, we don't seem to sleep well. Right. right. <laughs> the, and that, that often happens because we careen into sleep. This is what like the number one thing that I see people come to me, like big question that I get on surveys and stuff that we send out is sleep, racing thoughts before bed, and they don't have like a night routine at all. And so when like, it's like a train, a train breaks miles before the train station. Right. Why? Because there's so much mass that it has to slow down. Well, your right. brain has one quadrillion synapses. Like that is more energy than a train and yeah. you're just going to let it careen into sleep. It makes no sense. Having a night routine that can allow your brain to wind down. You're getting lights out of your eyes, especially if they're over your head, like your sleepy time tea with like chamomile and things like that. It can be super yeah. magnesium supplements can be awesome at nighttime and stuff. Journaling, reading things that are really like down low, like chilling type things can really help your brain wind down so that you can release some of the stress from the day and get to bed in an efficient manner. Yeah, that's, I hadn't thought of that before. I mean, I've always heard, try to turn off all the screens an hour before you go to bed, but the train analogy really helps me understand this. We generate all this momentum and we expect our minds to just shut <laughs> off. That's, that's right. fascinating. What about water? Is water important for the brain? I mean, I know I'm teeing that up, but you know, why is it that water is important? Water is what your brain, like, it's so freaking important. It is the mechanism by which your brain communicates with, its cells communicate. Your, like your entire brain is sitting in CSF, cerebral spinal fluid, that is made up of, the majority of it is made up of water. And the way that chemicals are able to get through to other like our chemical messages that our brain sends, the way that they get to another cell is through that aqueous, th that water-based solution. So when there's less, when you are dehydrated or you don't drink enough water, your brain literally processes information slower. You think slower. You remember things slower. Everything slows down because 
there is not enough water for the particles or the electrochemical particles that are usually mm-hmm. can flow pretty f- easily through the water. There's not enough water for it to come to get through. And so it, it's like a giant traffic jam. It's not good. That's why you get a headache too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's fascinating. Cody, I could just continue for an hour peppering questions at you about the brain. Unfortunately, <laughs> I try to keep the, the podcast to a manageable amount. We're going to have you back on sometime. We're going to talk more cool. about this, but the upshot of this whole conversation is that there is hope. Your brain is not stopping it. And I love what you said at the very beginning. Our brain is a great listener. Our brain listens. Yep. So be careful what you believe. Be careful what you tell yourself. And I've always said, you know, never ask, why can't I do this? Why can't, why am I have so, having so much trouble figuring this thing out? Well, that's exactly what your brain's going to listen to and try to mm-hmm. f- match that. Instead, ask, how can I? What are my options? How could I solve this? And your brain listens to that and works on that. That's, you told me that, I don't know, one of the first times we met, and I've shared that as often as I can, because all you have to do is change the question, right? Literally, yeah. Yeah, so, so get sleep, use your brain, drink water, and stay subscribed to this podcast because we're going to have another conversation about the brain. Cody, thank you. <laughs> where can we find you? If someone is really interested in hearing you and what you're doing, where can we find you? Yeah, so the easiest way to reach out to us is either directly from our website, so rewriteandrise.com, or okay. our social media, which is Mind Brain Body Lab on Instagram or TikTok. Okay, rewrite. And, and rise. The word and. Okay. Yep, the word and. Okay, we'll put those in the show notes. Thank you so much for taking your time. I appreciate that. Thank you. Anytime. Wow. The brain is such an amazing thing. We've got to take care of it. This has been another episode of the Serve Strong, Finish Strong podcast. I'm Scott Kokenauer. And as always, I'm grateful for your time. I know you could be listening to a bunch of other podcasts, but you've chosen to listen to this one. And I'm honored. Be sure to visit the show notes for all the information you need from this episode, and please subscribe to the podcast to get notified of the next episodes. I'll talk to you on the next Serve Strong, Finish Strong podcast. This has been a Mission Matters Network production. Listen to this show and browse our entire catalog by visiting missionmatters.com.